Thank you for tuning in to Emmanuel Faith Community Church. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. Well, hey, good morning, Emmanuel Faith. It's so good to see you. My name is Ryan. I'm one of the pastors here. And if you're joining us online, a special welcome to you also. Uh, for those of you who know me, uh, my guess is it will come of no surprise to you that I absolutely love reading. And um, I, love, I love all kinds of books, and, um, including like nerdy theology and, and also like brain candy novels that you read on the beach. And um, in fact, for Kelly and I, one of our most ideal vacations is to just go on, a be- go on vacation, just us two, and to sit on a beach and to read. Like that is, that is what we would sign up for, right? And one of, one of the strategies that some authors use in novels is called an unreliable narrator. So you've probably either read books or seen movies where there was an unreliable narrator, books like Heart of Darkness or um, Shutter Island or The Silent Patient or Gone Girl or Girl on a Train. Um, you've, you've seen movies, my guess is, where there was an unreliable narrator, movies like Memento or The Usual Suspects or The Sixth Sense. I mean, who could forget the shocking conclusion to the opening line or near the opening line of, I see dead people, right? So uh, an unreliable narrator is somebody who's telling the story from their point of view, but their point of view doesn't necessarily align with reality. So as you're reading, you start to see these glimmers and these hints and winks and shadows of the fact that maybe, just maybe, they're not communicating to you what's entirely true. And I started to wonder as I was looking at our text for today, I started to think to myself, I I don't know how good of a narrator I am of my own life. In fact, in fact, you and I are probably unreliable narrators of our own life. Meaning that the way that we tell the story of the life that we're living doesn't necessarily align with the reality of the life that we're actually living. And we keep reading these books and these novels and seeing these movies because they just draw us in because we wonder what really is going on. And I wanna invite you to ask that same question of your own life today. What really is going on? Like what's, what's actually real? What's actually true? And is the story I'm telling myself actually true? See, because most of us think that we got to where we are today because we worked hard and because we made good decisions and probably some combination of both. And, and like other people aren't where we are because they didn't work as hard and they didn't make as good of decisions. And, and we tend to believe that we are the master of our own fate and the captain of our own domain. And, and we typically roll that even into our spiritual life where we're like, I'm where I am with God because I had faith in God and I got to work and I, I got rid of those old sinful habits and I've sort of arrived and, and really it's about me. And I think the question we need to wrestle with today is, is that true? Like, is that actually what's going on in your life and in our world? Or is the story you're actually living wildly different than the story you're telling yourself? See, one of the things the Lord's Prayer does is it pulls back the veil and it lets us in on what's really going on. It forces us to engage life as it actually is, not just to believe the story that we're telling. 
So as we jump back into our series on the Lord's Prayer today, we're gonna learn how we are often unreliable narrators of our own story and our own lives. But better than that, we're gonna be invited into a freeing truth that I'm thinking is maybe some of the best news you've ever heard in your whole life. So if you have a Bible, would you open with me to Matthew chapter six? Matthew chapter six. And remember, the Lord's Prayer is Jesus's answer to his disciples asking him, hey, will you teach us how to pray? Because as much as we wanna think that prayer's simple, it's easy, it's just talking to God. The reality is when Jesus was asked, will you teach us how to pray? He didn't say, it's simple, it's easy, it's just talking to God. He actually responded with, pray like this. This is, this is how you could pray because not all prayer is created equal. So Jesus taught his disciples to pray. We call this the Lord's prayer. And I just wanna invite you to say it with me this morning. Let's begin with our father. Here we go. Our father in heaven, how will it be your name? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, amen. You gotta say amen before you, you tag on the ending, okay? We'll talk about that ending next week, but for today it's just amen. Over the last few weeks, we've been talking about before we ever ask God for anything, there's things that we do in prayer before we say, hey God, here's what's on my heart. Before we ever get to asking him for anything, and we're gonna talk about that today, we spend time adoring God. Um, God, it's your name that we want to be holy. God, it's your, it's your will that we wanna see come. God, it's what you're up to in the world. You are good and gracious heavenly father. We just wanna remind ourselves and our hearts who you are before we ask you for anything. And then we align ourselves with God. You know, God has an agenda in the world. Did you know that? And that in prayer, our goal is not to get God onto our agenda. Our goal is actually to sync our heart up with his agenda and what he's doing in the world. So we follow up the prayer of our Father in heaven, holy is your name, with um, would your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We, we align our hearts with his agenda. And then, and then as we're going to see today, we ask God for the things that we need. That's verses 11 and 12. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Now I want you to notice that Jesus in teaching us how to pray, he's telling us that we have to look outside of ourselves for our most fundamental basic needs. We don't have the fortitude, ingenuity, or strength to provide for ourselves the things that we ultimately need. We are lacking. Now, now, how's that for a countercultural message? Right? I mean, that's just not the air that we breathe. That's not the world that we live in. Um, my, uh, my, my two sons love watching motivational speeches on YouTube shorts, okay? 
And the other night at dinner, my youngest son, Reed, gets up from the dinner table, which is not all that uncommon, and he starts doing a monologue for us. And, and he's like, he gets up and he's like, come on, Rocky, what's the matter with you? And then he goes, I'll do it tomorrow. And then he goes, there is no tomorrow. And we're like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, Rocky, is that, is that from the movie Rocky? He's like, yeah, I guess so. I'm like, the dude has never seen the movie Rocky, but he is <laughs> quoting motivational Rocky speeches to us at dinner. I don't know, it just made me eat faster and like, yeah, you're right, dude. You're right. But we, we live in a world of motivational speeches and self-help books. I mean, the, the message that we live in and the air that we breathe is if you have a need, look inside yourself. And if you don't find it initially, just look harder and look deeper. Certainly the need will be met within you. I mean, there's a reason that Tony Robbins is wildly famous in our current cultural moment. And to be honest, there's something that's really attractive about that message, isn't there? I mean, that's like the, the sort of the American dream. That's the American narrative. Like pull yourself up by your bootstraps and work hard and get the job done. And there's so much truth embedded in that that I think we start to believe that that's the story that we're living. And, and I would say that let's just take a step back and acknowledge that as human beings, as a species, we're pretty amazing. I mean, we've climbed the highest mountain on earth. Like we created a metal tube that we get inside of and fly across the world. We, we've created beautiful art and breathtaking music and we put a man on the moon. I mean, come on. I, I didn't have anything to do with any of that, but come on. Like, like as a species, we are, we're, pretty, we're pretty amazing, aren't we? So the Lord's Prayer reframes all of that. Give us bread. Forgive us debts. And we ask implicitly, we ask because we are wildly dependent on the gifts of the giver. That's the whole point. So immediately we go from Arnold Schwarzenegger flexing our muscles to a baby crying out for its mother's um, food to, to keep him alive. Like immediately we're, we're humbled, we're humbled. Through this prayer, I think we're launched oftentimes against our will into a posture of dependency, of receiving, not earning, of being gifted and graced rather than deserving. Because there is a gap between what you can produce and what you need. There is a gap between what you can produce and what you need. And that runs so contrary to our high-flying, super-achieving view of ourselves. But by God's design, by God's design, prayer connects our human needs to heaven's resources. Give us and forgive us. And I love that God cares about our souls and our stomachs. Can I get an Amen. He cares about both. He cares about both. But it's humbling to admit that we have very, very fundamental base level needs that we cannot meet on our own. Um, over this last year, I've started to realize that some of my deepest needs have been my catalysts for my most ardent prayers. Anybody with me? 
Like they're, they're sort of the, the, the door that lets us in to see what's really going on in our life. And um, so for me, it came with an inability to sleep on Saturday nights that I've shared with you. Um, praise be to God for the last month or so. Um, he has answered my prayers and your prayers. And thank you for all the people that gave advice. Some of it I listened to, some of it I didn't. Um, but, um, <laughs> but here's what I realized. Here's what I realized. Um, sleep is so counterintuitive. Like the harder you try to sleep, the worse you get at sleep. Put all this pressure on yourself, I've gotta fall asleep, I've gotta fall asleep. And you play like alarm clock math. Like if I fall asleep now, I'll get four hours of sleep, right? And it's like, the more pressure you put on yourself, the more anxiety you carry, the worse you are at sleeping, right? And so about six months into this journey, I just realized that maybe there was an invitation that was sort of dormant within this frustration where God was inviting me to just relax into prayer. Um, second, Second time I was reminded of this was uh, two weeks ago on Monday, um, our daughter Avery was in a, a lot of pain and she came into our, uh, Kelly in my room and we didn't know what was going on with her. And so um, Kelly took her to the emergency room to try to figure out what was going on. Um, now praise be to God, she's, she's fine, she's home, she's doing great, but there was a, a whole night and a few days after where we didn't know what was going on. And so I'm, I'm lying in bed, Kelly's at the ER, and I'm just waiting for her to text me back, like, what's going on? Is everything okay? And it was in that moment that I realized so much of my life is out of my control. Like, people I care about most, I can't make it okay. Like, regardless of how hard I try, I don't have the resources. I don't have it in me. Some of you have walked that journey in, in, in extended, long, painful ways, and you understand that feeling oh too well. I have never felt so hopeless in, or so helpless in my life, and I have never prayed so hard. But maybe, maybe moments like those are not outliers to the story that we are living. Maybe we're thinking about it all wrong. Maybe those are the moments. Maybe those are the moments that tell us what's actually going on. Maybe those are the moments when the, the crack in the unreliable narrator's story starts to show and light starts to shine through about what's actually going on and what's actual reality. What if those are the moments the unreliable narrator is stripped of their powerful prose and the truth starts to sneak out behind the story that we tell ourselves that we are actually not independent, masters of our own fate, captains of our own domain. We are reliant beings, dependent on God for everything that we have, both materially and spiritually, maybe we really do need to pray like our lives depend on it. So let's look at each of these together. First, give us today our daily bread. The idea is that we would pray this each day and that with each day, God would give us fresh bread. The idea is that we would need to pray it tomorrow because the bread that he gave us yesterday won't be good today. Think of Israel in the desert collecting manna, right? That's the picture. Today, we need you to provide for us, God. And then third, I want you to see that Jesus is inviting us to pray for our needs at this point, not necessarily our wants. So there is a time to pray, 
God, give me a cinnamon roll. But I would argue that that's after you've prayed, God, give me bread, right? That there's some fundamental needs that we need covered in our hierarchy of needs before we can start praying for other things or longing for other things. And what Jesus is saying is even those most fundamental base level needs you need to ask for. You need to ask for. Because if you were to ask somebody in 2024, what are the fundamental building blocks of life? they would probably respond, DNA. In the first century, if you would have asked somebody what's the fundamental building block of life, they would have said, bread. So Jesus is saying, even the most fundamental things you need to ask for. We are asking God, Dale Brenner says, to sustain everything necessary for the preservation of our life. I invite you to write it down like this today. We are dependent on God's provision for our physical sustenance. We're dependent on God's provision for our physical sustenance. Um, how many of you have been praying the Lord's Prayer um, every morning and every night, trying to, trying to pray it slowly? Okay, a few of you, wonderful. Um, I, as I've been doing this over the last few weeks, I find so much dissonance in my soul when I pray, give us this day, our daily bread. I feel like I'm praying, Lord, give me what I know you're already going to give me because I already have it. I have a refrigerator that's over full, a pantry that's jam-packed with non-perishables, a deep freezer that I could go to if I'm in a really tough spot, a Costco run that's a possibility. And if none of those satisfy the hunger inside of me, I can always call for takeout. But God, give me today my daily bread. Like, can I be honest? It just feels disingenuous, doesn't it? I'm struck by the fact that I have given thanks for my daily bread often, but I don't know if I've ever prayed for my daily bread. I say grace before a meal. I don't know if I've ever prayed for a meal. And to a large degree, isn't that the way that we organize our lives? Like we don't wanna be in need. Listen, like I've got Amazon subscriptions where things show up to my house and not only did I not pray for them, I didn't even think about them. I just automated them. They show up. It's like the dog food's here again. Praise be to God, right? Just showed up. And I think, I think that's the narrative that so many of us live in and swim in. And so it can be hard to know what we're praying when we pray, God, give me today my daily bread when we know we already have it. So what is Jesus inviting us specifically in 2024? How do we pray this prayer with a sense of genuineness? I'm so glad you asked. There's three things that I want you to note that we happen in our soul as we pray, give us our daily bread. First, um, if you lived in an agrarian culture, maybe you, you still do, you, you're off the grid and, and you farm, okay, good for you. Um, when things go wrong, we're all gonna call you, but you won't have a way to receive it. So we're just coming, right? Um, you know that you can um, dig and till the soil, you can plant the seeds, but ultimately, if you were in an agrarian culture a few thousand years ago, you needed what? You needed rain. You needed God to make it rain. And so you were aware 
of your need for God every time you went to your table. Here's what I would say to you. We are just as dependent, but not as aware. We're just as dependent, but we are not as aware. And Jesus wants us to become aware that our Father is our good provider and that we are ridiculously dependent on him from beginning to end. Our life is in his hands. As the Apostle Paul would write to the church at Philippi, he says, and God will supply Say it with me, church. Every need of yours, every need of yours, according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. God is the supplier of every need. And when I pray for my needs, even if I already have them, I become more aware of what God has graciously given. Now, I know some of you are like, but Paulson, like, I'm the one who got up in the morning. I'm the one who went to work. I'm the one who went to school. I'm the one who got the degree. I'm the one who got the knowledge. I'm, I, I did it. I did it. And I just want to say, like, let's just pause and let's take the unreliable narrator pen off the page for a moment. And let's ask a few questions. Where did you get the ingenuity to learn? Where did you get the strength to get up? Where did you get the idea that it would be good for you to go to school? Where did you, like if we push all of these things, where did you get the breath that is in your lungs? See, if we push it back far enough, what we will find is that God is there enlivening and empowering and that he is the one who is sustaining even as we partner with him. So there's this like awareness as we start to pray, give me today our daily bread, that God is being good. But here's the unfortunate truth, you guys. Here's the unfortunate truth. God's consistency erodes my ability to see his goodness. Is anyone with me? Let me give you two examples, two examples. Um, I very rarely ever thank God for the breath in my lungs unless it's hard for me to breathe, right? When it's hard for me to breathe, I'm like, oh, wow, yeah, this is a gift. And gosh, I do need that. I very rarely ever thank God when I feel great, when my body's working great. But when I'm sick and when I'm in pain and when others are, man, I'm praying, So I don't think we're quite as aware as maybe Jesus wants us to be. So for us, it often seems like give us our daily bread is less about acquisition and more about awareness, but it's that awareness that leads to a heart and a posture of gratitude. Because you can't be thankful for things that you think you deserve or that you think you've earned. There's a different posture of the soul. We're grateful for things that are gifts, that are grace. And Jesus is saying, yeah, 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 yeah. That's your whole life. From the most fundamental basic needs to everything else that's built on top of them. So Jesus is breaking us out of the trap that unreliable narrators often fall into. Finally, finally, he says, give who? us today our daily bread not give me today my daily bread 
And most of the time we pray with our heads bowed and our everybody close, bow your eyes and bow your, bow your eyes and close your heads. Um, no, <laughs> don't do that. You know, bow your heads, close your eyes. That's the way we typically pray, which by the way is very cultural, okay? Um, I think this is a portion of the Lord's Prayer we should play, pray with our eyes open. Give us our daily bread. And as we look around the room, we see other brothers and sisters in Christ. And if we have a jam-packed pantry full of more types of Lay's potato chips than we could have ever possibly dreamed up on our own, and as we have a deep freezer that has things that we are just waiting to throw out, and if we have a Costco card that's in our pocket and we know where we, I think we have to start asking ourselves, if we pray that with a genuine heart, are there people in this space that maybe, maybe that prayer isn't being answered as readily? Are there people around the globe who are genuinely praying for their daily bread, not just before they eat their daily bread? See, this is, I think, the way that the early church was praying this prayer because it says about the early church that there was no needy person among them for as many as were owners of lands or houses, they sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and they laid it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to each as they had need. I think that the early church is praying the Lord's Prayer with eyes wide open saying, God, how might we be answers to this prayer that we collectively are praying? So there's a sense of awareness, God, you're being good to us. There's a sense of gratitude, wow, God, thank you. And then there's a sense of solidarity. Who among us doesn't have enough? Because you know, every single time you give to the care fund and we are able to meet genuine physical needs of people in our church body, you are playing a part in answering this prayer that so many in our church pray. And it is a joy to come alongside and say, we are in this together. So pray it with your eyes open. And maybe this week, maybe we just pause for a moment and let's just pause. And I wanna invite you to take a deep breath. Like really do it. And to recognize that it's an experience of God's grace, his mercy, he's providing for you. He's providing in ways we don't always recognize, but we always experience. And this prayer is designed to break us out of the captain of our own ship, master of our own fate mold and open our eyes to say, oh, wow, God, you have been ridiculously good. And you're being that way right now. So Jesus cares about our bodies and our stomachs, but he also cares about our souls. So here's what he says. And forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And this is the time where if we say it out loud, things usually go off the rails, right? It's like, and forgive us our, are we gonna say trespasses or sins or debts? Which one, which one is it? Can we just collectively decide on a way that we're gonna, we're gonna say debts, you guys. We're just, cause that's the way the ESV translation translates that word in Matthew chapter six. So let's just decide on it. By the way, you can say whatever word you want. Transgressions is just simply about a relational breach that happens between people. Sin is a more general term that talks about missing the mark. Debt is a debt that we incur because we don't either do what God's asked us to do um, or we do something that God has asked us not to do, okay? Either to, in front of him or other people. 
And that's the way that the ESV translates Matthew chapter 6. We are praying for forgiveness. Because if bread is our most fundamental, basic, physical need, forgiveness is our most basic, fundamental, spiritual need. And we are reliant on God's grace for spiritual renewal. Now, there are some hard-to-swallow truths embedded within this portion of the prayer, aren't there? Not the least of which is that you need forgiveness. Often. Like, like, not some of you, but all of us. The scriptures are really clear. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's every single one of us is in the same position. So the prayer is, God, forgive me. Not, hey, God, um, give me a path to work this one off. Or God, would you ignore that wrong? God, look over that wrong. It's God, I need you to wipe the slate of my debt clean. I need you by your grace to do what I cannot do by my own willpower and effort alone. God, I need you to come through because the resources I have in me are not sufficient in order to get the job done that needs to be done in my own soul and in my own life. God, I need you to come through and forgive me. See, my, my unreliable narrator pen, I often want to write chapters in my own story like, um, well, what I did wasn't that bad or what I did wasn't that bad compared to them. Like, because like we all think God grades on a curve, right? Or I'm going to make up for it. I'm going I'm to grow out of this one. Or it's their fault. It's not, this isn't about me. This is about them. And the unreliable narrator in me longs to write the story of my life where I don't necessarily need forgiveness. I just need something overlooked and I just need a little bit more time to outgrow it. And Jesus is like, no. What you need is forgiveness. And what I want you to notice too is that um, there's such grace in this portion of the prayer because Jesus is teaching us to pray something that he never had to pray. Like you, you realize that Jesus, when he snuck away early in the morning, never prayed, Father, forgive me for my sins. He's perfect. He, like he's, he's engaging with us in, in our humanity and he's showing us what we need, but he is not, he never had to pray that prayer. He's actually the answer to that prayer. Behold the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Or as the apostle Paul would write, if we wanna stick with our trespasses and debts language, listen to what he wrote to the church in Colossae. He said, and you, that's anybody who by faith is in Christ. So if you're a follower of Jesus today, this is you. And you were dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us. That's the type of getting canceled that you want. <laughs> that stood against us with all of its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to 
the cross. Praise be to God for his marvelous grace. Praise be to God that he has forgiven us. Praise be to God that we know when we come before him and say, forgive me my sins, his answer is yes, I have and I will. Every single time I have wiped the record of debt clean and made it white by the power of my shed blood on Calvary's hill. Praise be to God. So here's the question though. If we know it's already true, why in the world do we need to pray it? And, and my, my, my guess is you're praying, forgive us our sins every morning. And maybe you sit with that. Maybe you have this last week and you go, Lord, you've already forgiven me. Why am I asking you every day to do something you've already done for me? My short answer to that complex theological question is confession is so good for our soul. It reminds us that even though Jesus has already forgiven us, that we need constant forgiveness. Like when I pray this in the morning and the evening of every day, I'm reminding myself that I need his forgiveness and that he has given it today. His mercy is new every morning, which is great news for us because we need it to be new every morning. Amen. So here's what confession reminds me of. It's so good for my soul because it reminds me I have a platform to be honest in front of God. He knows it all so I can say whatever. It reminds me of a platform to be honest and it reminds me I have a pathway to come home. Friends, if you are a follower of Jesus, you never need to live in guilt and shame and condemnation. You get to come before your good and gracious heavenly father and ask him to forgive you knowing full well that what he did on Calvary's Hill has already paid the penalty. It's taking care of the work. You are forgiven. So there's no place for shame, no place for guilt to hide. And every morning and every evening, we get to remind ourselves of that, forgive me. And he says, I have and I will. All right, but that's not all that he says about forgiveness. He says, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And we're like, whoa, 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 Jesus, I like forgiveness of me. I was like, so on board with that. But if we could talk about mercy for me and judgment for them, that would be just fine with me, right? Like, however, have, have you ever realized that you want grace for yourself, but justice for other people? And so Jesus embeds within this prayer some like checks and balances for our soul to help us get and stay healthy. And if you think Jesus is controversial here, he's like, okay, after I get to the end of my prayer, I'm gonna come back to this forgiveness idea because it's so important. So just two verses later, verse 14. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. Pause for dramatic effect. <laughs> what do we do with that? What, what, do we, what do we do with that? Like if this verse doesn't cast a bit of a question over our Protestant evangelical understanding of justification through faith alone, I'm not sure what would. 
So is it like, is it that we are saved by grace through faith alone? Or is it that we are saved by grace through faith and then forgiving other people? Which sort of rules out the alone part. Which is it? Which is it? Um, here's where um, uh, the Dr. Glenn Packiam made it so, I, so that I could understand it in a new way because I was thinking about this in a transactional sense, right? Like we forgive others and then Jesus is like, okay, now my heavenly father can forgive you, okay? You do this and then I do this and it's just sort of like an exchange of goods. But I think it's far more helpful to think about it in a biological and relational sense. It's like in your chest, your heart is beating right now. And your heart is doing a myriad of things, two of which are it's taking blood into itself and it's pumping blood out of itself. And if it keeps taking in blood, but stops pumping out blood, you have what we call congestive heart failure. And I think that there are a lot of people, Christians included, who suffer from spiritual congestive heart failure because they wanna take in the forgiveness of God, but they aren't willing to release that same forgiveness to others who may have wronged them. So the great Daryl Johnson put it like this. He said, the way I understand what Jesus is teaching is this. If I am not willing to forgive others, then I am not asking God to forgive me no matter what words I use. I'm asking God to excuse me, but I'm not asking God forgive me. Now, let me just hit time out for a moment and just address the fact that I realize that for so many in this room, this is so challenging. You were taken advantage of, you were um, abused, and you're thinking to yourself, Ryan, like that might be easy for you to talk about and for you to say, but you don't know my story. You don't know what I've been through, and you don't know how hard it is for me to forgive. And I just want to admit openly, I don't know your story. I don't know what you've walked through. I don't know the pain that you carry. And I don't know the pain that you carry into this room every single Sunday. I don't know your story and I don't presume to, but I want you to know that Jesus knows your story and that he is inviting you to step into this with him for your own good and your own freedom. But there's so much bad teaching about what forgiveness is and what it isn't. And so give me a moment to just unpack what forgiveness is and what it isn't so that we can, as disciples of Jesus, try to follow him where he's inviting us to follow him in the Lord's Prayer. So what forgiveness is not, let's start there. Forgiveness is not ignoring the wrong. In fact, forgiveness demands that we name the wrong. So it's the exact opposite of ignoring it. You can't forgive somebody if you aren't willing to say, this is how you've hurt me. So it's naming the wrong, not ignoring it. Forgiveness does not mean that we forget the wrong. Have you ever heard somebody, probably well-intentioned, say, just forgive and forget? Which is pretty difficult to forgive if you can't forget, right? And like, you don't get to choose if you remember or not. So you're sort of backed into a corner there. Here's the good news. The Bible never says forgive and forget. So you should forget that. 
forget that cliche. Forget that saying. It's unbiblical. It's not true. You don't need to forget. Third, forgiveness does not mean that we eliminate the consequences of the wrong that was done to us. Let me give you an example. The Israelites disobey God, and so he says to them, I have forgiven you, but you are not going to enter the promised land right away. You are going to wander around in the wilderness for 40 years. Forgiven, they get to keep living, but they wander for 40 years. The person who wronged you, it may very well be right for them to go to jail. That does not mean that you haven't forgiven them. It doesn't mean that you can't forgive them. Okay? So it doesn't mean that we eliminate the consequences of what was done. And then what does forgiveness not mean? Fourth, it doesn't mean reconciliation with the wrongdoer. Reconciliation is often desirable, but it's not always possible. Let me, let me say this as clearly as I can. Boundaries and safety are a good and godly thing. There has been way too much teaching in the church that swept things under the rug and encouraged people to get back into relationships and spaces where they were getting wounded. And I just want to say, that is not the heart of God for you. That, does, that is not what it means to forgive. For reconciliation to take place, repentance by the wrongdoer must include full admittance of guilt, ownership, taking responsibility for the hurt that they've caused, and then... Reconciliation is a possibility, but not even a guarantee at that point, okay? Forgiveness takes one. It's between you and God. Reconciliation takes two. What does forgiveness mean, okay? This is what it doesn't mean. Here's what it means. It means that we release the debt and that we absorb the wrong. The second one goes along with it, so I'm going to put it up there. It means that we stop the cycle of retributive violence and entrust justice to God. So it means that I'm not saying I'm going to be the one who makes this right. In fact, if, if you were taken advantage of and you were abused, what would it even look like for things to be made right? Like what, what could they do to make it right? Nothing. Nothing. And so there has to be something that happens between you and God. And it's saying back to God, God, I trust that you are perfect in wisdom. I trust that you are gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. I trust that you are just and that you are holy. And I trust you to do what you see fit, but I don't need to control it anymore. It's yours. That's what forgiveness is. Third, sometimes we have to decide to forgive before we feel like forgiving. Sometimes forgiveness is a decision before it's an emotion. And here's what I mean by that. Sometimes we say to Jesus, Jesus, I know that you're calling me to forgive this person. And even though I don't want to, I'm deciding to. And what that means is not that I won't feel feelings of anger or bitterness or revenge or the desire to get them back. Or just this, like, um, if, you've, if you've had to forgive somebody who's really wronged you, some mornings you wake up and it just feels like there's a weight that's sitting on your chest. And you're like, I've got to do something with this. It means that every time you feel yourself carrying that, you are choosing to surrender it. It doesn't mean 
that you won't ever feel the desire for revenge again. It means that whenever you feel it, you surrender it. Sometimes it's a decision before it's an emotion. And then finally, and then finally, forgiveness means that we refuse to give the devil a foothold. And forgiveness is a fight for our own joy in so many ways because when we harbor anger and bitterness, we create an environment in our own soul where the enemy of our soul goes, ooh, I'm quite comfortable there, thank you very much. Like I can set this up as a base camp to destroy your whole life. I'm gonna do day hikes from here and wreak havoc on your soul. Thank you so much for harboring this bitterness and this anger and this desire for revenge. When you choose to forgive, you are entering into spiritual warfare, partnering with the spirit of God within you to fight for the joy and health of your own soul. As the great band Need to Breathe sang. When you forgive someone, you set yourself free. I think it was a Chinese proverb before that, but there's a lot more that could be said about that, admittedly, admittedly. But through the Lord's Prayer, Jesus is laying down a foundation for our spiritual renewal. He's pointing us, pointing to us to forgiveness, both to offer it and to receive it for ourselves, because it is absolutely essential for our own spiritual well-being. And I just want to say, some of you are here today. Some of you are here today because you have been carrying a grudge because you have been operating in anger, because you've been dreaming about revenge, because bitterness is forming a root in your soul, because you're holding on to something that Jesus is asking you and inviting you to release, and you are creating a habitat in your soul that the devil loves. And some of you are here today to pray, forgive me my trespasses as I forgive those who have sinned against me. And maybe today you can't even pray that, but maybe today you can pray, Jesus, I don't think I can forgive, but I think I want to. So help me. So two weeks ago, there I was. It was a Monday night and I was lying in my bed, unable to sleep, not because of insomnia, but because Kelly was at the, ER with our daughter, Avery, and I just felt so helpless. Nothing I could do, nothing I could do. And praying that night, it, it hit me, it hit me. Rarely, rarely, if ever, do I actually have control over my life, the control that I think I have. Rarely do I ever have it. I mean, you guys, you know that for every single person in this room, one phone call, could change your entire life. One phone call. I don't say that to make you feel small. I say that to remind you that you are. <laughs> that we're feeble, fragile beings, but that we are loved so immensely by our heavenly father that we are in his good and gracious care when we recognize it and when we don't. 
So I'm trying, and I'm inviting you also, I'm trying to pull out the eraser and to edit the pages of my own story where as an unreliable narrator, I've written that I've done it or that I've achieved it or that I've made it work or that I worked harder, that I made the right decisions. And I'm trying to erase that whole narrative to say, God, it's about you. Your good and gracious hand has been on my life from beginning to end. Every time I've sat down at my table and there's been food on it every single day time, it's because you are good. Every single time I breathe in and I get a breath in my lungs, it's not because I earned it, it's because you're gracious to me. The fact that I don't have to carry guilt and shame is pure gift from my maker extended to me on Calvary's hill. At great extent, he offers us forgiveness. And even as we say, Lord, we want to forgive those around us, he says, I want to help and empower you to do that. I'm an unreliable narrator. I don't know about you. I need to pray. Forgive, give me, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Because the truest story is that I am needy, physically, spiritually needy, and that he is a gracious provider. I need his sustenance every moment of every day. And the fact that I'm alive and breathing and that you are too, means that he is answering prayer. After all, he is the bread of life and he is the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So cry out, ask. The kingdom works through asking. James wrote, you have not because you ask not. Jesus told us our father is good and gracious and loves to give good gifts to his children because he loves them. So ask, ask and see how his hand might move in your life. Thank you for listening to our service. We'd love to have you join us in person. For more information about our church and service times, please visit efcc.org. If you would like to support the ministries of Emmanuel Faith, you can do so at efcc.org give.